Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. I'm Danae, the host of the I Believe podcast, and I'm also a patient with ocular melanoma. And today I am joined with um, five other people. And Lisa is a caregiver to Mark, who is an ocular melanoma patient. And then we have patients Hannah, Kenny, Lindsay, and Lori, who are joining us from various places around the country. And this is our first time doing this this um, scale of a live, if that makes sense. So bear with us as we're kind of working out any of the kinks, and hopefully technology will cooperate with us. We're gonna everybody say a prayer. Um, but we are live today to talk to you guys about our personal journeys with integrative oncology. And this has really looked different for everybody, but I just want to open this up with a just a brief disclaimer. Um, I am the host of the I Believe podcast, and I'm here as a patient. So I'm here to talk with these patients, you know, patient to patient, kind of similar to the way that we talked about enucleation in one of the past episodes. So I'm not here to offer specific advice. I obviously I'm not joined by a medical professional. I'm just joined by patients sharing their experiences, and we just want to offer this chance for all of these patients to communicate. You know, what does this look like, and just to help to dispel some of the I think the um, uncertainty around what do we do, right? What do we do when we have metastatic disease or when we're waiting and we don't want to be just stuck waiting? What do we do? And what are some of the things that can feel empowering as patients? Um, so I'm really glad that you guys are all joining me today and I feel really fortunate to know all of you on um, a, a lot more of a, a deeper level, I feel like, than, than I know some other patients. Um, so I just wanna go ahead and let's, let's get everybody introduced. Um, you guys know me. I'm Danae. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I do have metastatic a metastatic diagnosis, but I am currently free of disease um, as of about seven or so months ago. Lisa, do you want to go next? I'm just going to follow across my screen. Sure. Um, I'm Lisa Durbin. My husband's Mark Durbin, and he um, was diagnosed with metastatic disease in 2020, and um, Currently, he is stable. He's been stable for right around 30 months after immunoembolization. So can we just define the difference between stable and free of disease? So stable for Mark means he has, he has lesions on his liver, but they have not grown in a period of time, correct? Yeah, so we were looking kind of at his markers from June of 2020, and mm -hmm. he is exactly... Um, his tumors are ex the exact same size as when we started three years ago. Um, they grew a little bit right after he got his biopsy. And mm -hmm. then, um, and then after he had, he only had two immunoembolizations, um, two full or four full rounds. No, two treatments. I'm kind of going off track here, but four um, treatments total when yeah. we went to Philadelphia and he, and he's been stable um, since December of 2020. Okay. So, all right, Hannah, what about you? Yeah, um, I'm here from Austin, Texas. So really excited to be on today's call. 
Um, I was diagnosed with my eye in September of 2016, was free. Um, they just did proton beam radiation up in Boston. I still have my, my eye. Um, and then in December of 2021, I was diagnosed with METS. I had a spot in my liver and a spot on my spine. Um, we've been on the natural journey since May of that following year. Um, I did get the spot on my liver, which I think we'll talk about, removed surgically as they did the biopsy. And um, to date, I have no additional spots in my liver, but I did just get a set of scans that are concerning for a couple more spots on my, my bone. So we can talk a little bit about that. But other than that, I've been pretty stable. Okay. Um, and I do want to just, as we, as I just thought of this, let's backtrack really fast and let's just chat who had a biopsy, who did not like a, an eye biopsy. Um, and what was the result of that eye biopsy if you had that result? So, um, for me, it was, I got a class two by diagnosis from my eye biopsy back in original treatment time in 2020. And, um, obviously I have now since gone metastatic, but, um, I'm still okay right now. Um, Lisa, what about, what about Mark? Did you guys have a biopsy done? Yeah. So that was back in 2011. Um, he came back class 1A. Okay. So he had that done. And then now I'm just kind of studying the, I don't even know what you call it, the the mutations. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the trends and the time differences between like, cause a, a yeah. class two diagnosis historically, or, you know, statistically is more likely to metastasize between years two and five after diagnosis. Whereas someone who's a class one, mm-hmm. a, I think it's like up to 15 years. It's like 10 to 15 years after diagnosis, which is crazy because that's such a long time. Um, Hannah, what yeah, about he you? He was almost 10 years. Yeah. I, so I didn't get a biopsy of my eye, so they didn't ever, they never classed me. They never knew. My eye. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So now that we took care of that, um, I'm going to move on to Kenny and we'll go through the rest of the introductions real quick. All right, Kenny, you are up. Okay, my name is Kenny Rains. I'm from Hot Springs, Arkansas. I was diagnosed with ocular melanoma in my right eye in August of 2021. Had brachytherapy and ultimately have kept the eye but have lost the vision. Um, And so uh, also had a biopsy done and was in the lowest statistical group to spread and get METS. And currently at this time, I do not have METS and the tumor itself in the right eye is continuing to shrink. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for being here all the way from the Midwest where it's hot and humid as we talked about earlier. All right, Lindsay, and what about you? Yeah, so uh, I'm Lindsay Brown. I'm here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I was diagnosed last year in May 2022. I did get a biopsy done and and was in, put in the class two category based on tumor size. Um, and I did have enucleation. So this eye is beautifully fake. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, but yes, that's, that's. I forgot. I muted myself. I was just saying, I loved what you said. Beautifully <laughs> fake. Um, I think it's great though. Like, honestly, I think you and me are the only ones here on the call who have a prosthetic eye, but I think we both have had a pretty good experience as far as the painting of that eye goes. So grateful, grateful for that. Um, well, thank you, Lindsay, for being here with us. And Lori, what about you? Hi, well, welcome. I am from Wilmington, welcome. Delaware. Yes, yes welcome. welcome. Um, I was originally <laughs> diagnosed in uh, June of 2016. 
and um, had radiation plaque therapy, was cancer-free for three years. I did have a biopsy, but I think mine was different. It was done by the Perlman Institute, and it really just came up with low, moderate, or high risk of metastasis. And, and then it told me about the type of tumor I had. So, um, so it just told me I had a moderate risk of metastasizing. Um, but I didn't get like a class this or that from it. Um, okay. And then in August of 2019, I metastasized to my liver. Um, since then, I have metastasized to my lungs and both breasts. Um, everything in, in, within the past four years is still relatively small. Um, and I've, um, well, we can get into more of what I've done, but it's, they're still relatively small. My tumor burden's still relatively small, even though I have about 15 lesions in there. And um, my lung burden is also pretty small. Okay. Yeah, and like you said, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about kind of each each of the journeys of, of these individual people, um, myself included. But just kind of generally, let's just talk about what led you to pursue, like if you could sum it up in two to five sentences, what led you to pursuing integrative oncology care, like some level of holistic, naturopathic, um, functional medicine, in addition to whatever you have already pursued in the conventional medicine world. Um, so... Uh, I guess I will go first really fast. For me, it was actually Lori's story. Um, I saw Lori on Facebook and she was saying she was three years metastatic free or metastatic, like stable, not metastatic free, um, but she was stable. And I just, that was unheard of for me in the Facebook groups. I think I was coming across people who had passed away. I was coming across really triggering stories of people who just were not doing well with metastatic disease. And she was one of the first people I saw who was doing well. And I latched onto that. I didn't have metastatic disease at the time, um, but I really latched onto that. And that just gave me a ton of hope. And it gave me a lot of confidence going into researching for myself and just figuring out a plan. I guess that was more than five sentences. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lisa, you're up. Well, I think for us, it was, um, was fear-based. Um, you know, I think that, you know, kind of growing up, we always thought that, you know, doctors would fix our boo-boos. Um, and um, when we found out that he had metastatic disease, we knew going from 2011 to 2020, you know, we knew at that point that it was, it was um, I mean, I'll just be honest, we just looked at each other and we knew that was a death sentence. And so... To go to um, you know the natural way, we just wanted to know everything that we could, and I think we were driven out of fear because we had no roadmap, and then the fear has subsided now um, mm -hmm. because we have learned. So that's that's how we got started. Oh, I love that, and I think that's important to recognize too that like everybody's decisions, the things that we do for ourselves, like we're all going to be making decisions from different perspectives, from different you know, places. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that journey is somehow incorrect. Like if you approach it from a place of fear and it gets you to a place where you can then be less fearful, I think we all kind of, I mean, that it, we could argue that's kind of what we all do, right? Like we all look at it and go, well, I'm afraid of not doing well and of dying. So I want to do something to alleviate that fear. Um, 
Yep. All right. So Hannah, what about you? What led you to this route and this pursuit? Yeah. Yeah. And I know you did not do this on purpose today, but I'm glad I'm following Lisa because I kind of feel like I had the same kind of experience when I was initially diagnosed with metastatic disease. It was fear. Uh, the options that my primary oncologist gave me were not great. They were for skin melanoma and the outcomes were, were not great. And, um, my husband actually has a lot of just interest in natural medicine. And he was like, well, let's just go explore it. Let's find a natural doctor. Let's talk to them about it. And we did. And we kind of jumped on that train and then kind of um, segueing in. I saw Lori's story on Facebook as well. And I was like, this is really working for her. And I think like this is the route I want to go. So kind of a combination of those three things. Yeah, no, I love that. Kenny, what about you? And I know like Kenny and Lindsay, you guys have not had any metastatic disease, but you guys are also very passionate about doing anything you can to keep it from happening. Um, and so Kenny, what led you to making the changes that you have had um, in your lifestyle and just continuing to support that? I think very similar here. This, this diagnosis, at least like where my tumor was specifically, I was losing vision almost on a daily basis. And so you're watching in real time this tumor grow inside your body. Um, then, of course, you hop on Google and you, you start seeing, like you said, just some disturbing uh, realities that can come with this disease. And I remember going up to Mayo Clinic and, um, you know, I just got like every book I could get on different philosophies. Um, like out-of-the-box cancer treatments was a good one that I read. Eat to Beat Disease was another one with a very interesting um, thought of angiogenesis and anti-angiogenic um, foods and just things that you can put in your body to prevent tumor growth. But ultimately, here's what I would sum up is I played college football and played offense and ultimately am just used to being on offense and used to doing things proactively. And with this mm -hmm. disease, if you're not metastatic, the literal approach is to just wait till you get it. No preventative, yeah. nothing, yeah. no treatment. We're just going to keep scanning you every six months, maybe more frequently than that, depending on what group you're in. And we'll talk when you get cancer everywhere else. And uh, I wasn't cool with that. I, I still obviously <laughs> go and get the scans, but even just mentally, that, that puts you in such a terrifying bad place that it inevitably has repercussions on other aspects of your health mentally emotionally and so even with me doing these things doing this research even if I can't prove statistically that it's helping for example if it does nothing else it at least makes me feel that I'm doing things and there's no doubt that the placebo effect does have an empirical data supporting that your mentality makes a big impact on your health. Yeah, no, I, th I love that. And I think that's, that's such an important point. I think both, both aspects of what you said is that placebo effect and belief and just believing that what you're doing is helping you, but also that proactive approach of instead of the sit and wait and kind of like feel like you're, you're um, what's the word for it? that you are at the mercy, so to speak, of your cancer, like take it by the reins, mm -hmm. right? That's, mm -hmm. that's really what we've all done on some level, whether it's adjuvantly and in a, in a, in a pre-metastatic space 
or post metastatic. Like it doesn't really matter when it happens, but like if you can come at it from that place, that offensive position, like you said, you know, to use a football term, I shouldn't talk football because I don't know football, but, um, (laughs) sorry guys, sorry, Kenny, full disclosure. You can, you can unfriend me later. Um, but just having that offensive approach can feel so empowering. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, we could all agree, like everybody on here would agree that just the fact that we're doing what we're doing on some scale helps empower you to feel like you're going to be okay. And that you're going to be more okay because of what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. all right. Sorry for the segue. Lindsay, um, what about you? What (laughs) led you to your pursuit of this kind of offensive approach? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you said, I'm not metastatic, um, currently, Uh, But to Kenny's point, the messages were loud and clear that basically you're going to be okay until you're not. And it was more, more the, the unwillingness to just sit in that gray space until something bad happens. Uh, That's not my personality. That's not how I live my life. I don't, I'm not one to just sit around and wait for things to happen. And so, especially when it comes to hey, sit around and wait for this disease to maybe probably kill you someday. That's mm-hmm. not interesting to me to just sit and wait. And so it was actually a combination of understanding that that wasn't how I wanted to live my life. And also my oncologist who recommended more natural approaches and more Eastern medicine approaches. And um, what was really interesting was when I was presented with the option of a clinical trial that didn't have really great data supporting the success of it. I, I chatted with him and I was like, you know what? I think I'm more interested in more sort of holistic integrative approaches. What are your thoughts? And he said, you know, I support you. You know your body best. Wow. Uh, you know what you're going to stick to and what you're going to believe in. He said, I've, ha- I've seen some wild success stories with integrative medicine and with more holistic approaches. And so if that's what you're comfortable with, I, I support you. And so that was really, really big for me. And I feel like I lucked out in terms of the oncologist I ended up with <laughs> from the get um, just because of that, that wholehearted support. Oh, I love that. And I think that's, that, can, that can be um, a difficult thing in this realm, right? kind of the, the war, so to speak, between conventional medicine and traditional right. medicine. Um, and I don't think that it's meant to be a war, right? Like, I think conventional medicine wants to help, and I think traditional medicine wants to help. They just both have different ideas of who's right about doing that. Um, and I think what what I've come to realize as a patient, and you guys tell me if you agree with this, is I don't want to be, I don't want to be pulled at by two sides. I just want to be able to make the decisions that feel the best to me, that feel right for me. And I want doctors who support that, regardless of if they agree on one end or the other, or if they would do it themselves. But I think when it comes down to it, like Lindsay, like what you said, like I, we have to make the decisions that we feel the most comfortable with. Because if we don't, then I think that we constantly will question where we are on the path, whatever that treatment path looks like. All right, Lori, I don't want to miss you. So Lori, what led you to this, to this realm? Um, well, Lisa, did you want to add something first? Oh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to say, I raised my hand like this, like oh, a little sorry. kid in classroom. Well, I, I wanted to interject that basically what you guys are saying is something that 
I wish that Mark and I had done back in 2011 because we really did have the chance to go integrative and to basically have that roadmap, like I was saying, to, um, to he had a 2% chance of metastasizing. I mean, who knows where that number really is? I mean, I don't, I, who knows? But, you know, he had such a low percentage and we were literally on year nine and a half um, um, years and stress really hit our family hard. My husband's dad died. Um, we had a, a lot of things going on, but had we, you know, integrated, you know, you know, non, you know, in, integrative medicine into that, I feel like his immune system would have been fighting for itself and would have, we would have known some methods basically to, um, to conquer that stress. And I commend people who don't have metastasis, who are taking this approach early because I would have done, now if I would have gone back, I would have done everything differently. Woulda, shoulda, coulda, I know, but yes. um, I'm, I'm proud of the people who are doing it differently. So. And that's a great segue yeah. into me because I feel the same exact way. I got into this um, after about two and a half years when I was you know, cancer-free, I was like, okay, I know I've got a good chance. Why don't I start getting my body ready? Mm -hmm. And a, a friend of mine um, gave me two books, um, Radical Remission and the Metabolic Approach to Cancer. And so right away I started keto. I didn't start it the right way, like for my body, but I just started, I just started the whole process of keto. And um, within the month that I started with my naturopathic doctor, I found out I metastasized. So I was already with her and the trial that um, my oncologist wanted me on um, was, was offering stability, but my scans were showing stability. And I asked, well, why would I go on this potentially toxic trial if I'm already giving myself stability? And he said, well, because it might be closed when you need it. Well, I took that chance, and I've been taking that chance ever since. Um, and I work, I work really hard, but I also um, am really healthy. I've worked a lot on my fear, and um, I'm actually healthier than I've been in 20 years, minus this cancer. So um, I do wish I had started sooner. I wish, yeah. But but that's the other thing. I, it really touched me to hear how I have impacted other people um, choosing to to add integrative oncology into their regimen. And um, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that had had I started earlier. Say, go ahead. Yeah, Lori, your interview that you did with Danae is the first time I heard about that radical remission book. And that book has been an incredible, powerful resource that I've used in making the, the sweeping changes that I've made in my health. So thank you. This one. Lindsay, I'm going to piggyback off you because I, mm -hmm. that was the first time I had heard of it too. And um, I know she has a docu-series out now. I really want to watch that as well. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I definitely agree. And I actually want to circle back to something, Lisa, you highlighted where I think you um, connected some of the stressors in Mark's life to p potential metastatic triggers. And mm -hmm. 
I can also correlate some of my own stress in my life to some of the metastatic Mm -hmm. timelines that I have. So I think that that is another thing that I would love to hear others talk about is just were there stressors in your life that you can cite and how are you navigating reducing that stress? Lori, I heard you talk a little bit about it, but um, I can totally cite specific things in my life. You know, I had my son, mm-hmm. first kid I ever had, and I did not even know what I was doing. And nine months later, I'm, I'm metastatic. So um, I just, I want to just circle back to that, Lisa. No, oh, I think that's a good point. Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know for a fact that those stressors in his life just triggered it because he, he was doing so well. And uh, I watched him decline um, so rapidly when certain things happened in his life. And that's the, that's the one thing that I can pinpoint. I, I, I feel it deep within my soul that, you know, his father dying and some other things, he just wasn't the same human. And my husband, Mark, is one of the happiest, if not the happiest person I've ever met in my life. Um, he, you know, we kind of call ourselves the Tiggers in life, so we're not Eeyores. And um, I remember back in that time period in 2020, you know, there was COVID, there was all these things happening to people. Um, I just saw that Tigger kind of becoming an Eeyore um, mm. and boom, it happened. And here we are. So. Well, I think this, this has been a good discussion and I love how everybody is, I feel like everybody's really respectful of like just giving each other time to talk. And, um, so I want to talk a little about the pros and cons. Um, and Kenny, you've been kind of quiet. What do you feel like are some of the pros and cons of, uh, of this kind of approach? I know for you, it's kind of a, it's been a little bit of like a do it yourself approach where you're just reading lots of books and, and learning. Um, so what have been some of the, the limitations of that and what have been the positives? Yeah, it's a great question today. Um, you know, I would say in regards to positives, um, you know, number one is just that mentality shift and, and just how critical it is to work on yourself mentally because of the darkness that the situation inevitably brings, even if everything else in your life is good. There's just this overwhelming shadow of, you know, when is it actually going to happen? And so dealing with that, I feel like integrative approach is have helped me significantly deal with that demon and just kind of press it back. And, um, you know, in regards to other pros, a lot of these different supplements, foods, diets, they can make you feel better physically. You know, it, like if you clean up and you're not eating as much junk food and you're eating blueberries and broccoli and these other um, healthier foods that are packed with antioxidants and other um, just types of things that are helping your body perform at a higher level, you know, that's also just going to make you feel better in general, which once again, it just creates this positive snowball effect. I think the cons can be, it can be extremely expensive to try to do integrative approaches. Your insurance coverage is going to be almost non-existent. Um, Maybe you guys have a different experience if you have Mets, and I'm just not really sure what's covered in that case, but you know, fortunately, I'm, I'm in a position 
career-wise, job-wise, to where I'm not as concerned with, you know, spending extra money on food and supplements, and that thing. But it can be extremely expensive um, depending on what types of foods and supplements you're wanting to put into your body. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess I would add, too, to the cons, like, that one of the most difficult things about this for me at first, and I, I grappled with it, but one of the first things that was difficult for me was having the, okay, you do have metastatic disease. We're pretty, we're pretty confident it's uveal melanoma. We need to do the biopsy, all the doctor's appointments and everything that comes with the initial metastatic diagnosis. And if you have had that personally, you understand what that looks like. It's months of doctor's appointments, extra scans, all of these things are happening and they're just kind of rapid fire. It's, it's very similar to the initial diagnosis um, where there's just so much going on and they're just trying to figure out what's the path forward. So that created, for me, a a level of overwhelm, right? And that level of overwhelm and stress was something that I had to grapple with like every day because I was just wanting to be able to implement some of these things I was reading about from the radical remission book, from the metabolic approach to cancer, from starting to work with a naturopath, but like not having very much time on my plate to do so. Um, And so that overwhelm was difficult for me to grapple with. And the only way I could get past it was to... um, come to a place where I just decided that no matter how small the action that I took, whether it was that I could do one thing new that week or that month or that day, one thing new that my, my doctors were recommending or that this book that felt intuitively right to me, if I could just do that one thing and I would start doing that and add that to my regimen or add that to my daily routine, I was going to trust that that one thing would be enough to help. And I had to just adopt that mentality because if I couldn't, I couldn't do a hundred different new things. I couldn't add all the new supplements they were suggesting. I couldn't go through this page by page by page recommendation from this integrative oncologist of marvelous ideas and tips and wonderful things that would probably all be beneficial to my body, but I couldn't do it all that day. And so I had to release that, that feeling that I could do it all at once and just focus on allowing space. I think for the one action on the one change to be enough, even if I could just do it a little while. Um, Hannah, do you have anything else? I think you were, you had a hand up earlier. I thought, Oh no, no, I was just piggybacking off of. No, that's good. I just saw, I just saw this. It was fine. (laughs) Kenny, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. I was just going to also state that you bring up an important point is also figuring out what you'll actually do. I have come across a lot of very interesting approaches, and, and I would highly encourage anybody that has cancer, go get the book, Outside the Box Cancer Treatments. If you just want to see like anything that's out there, that's a good book that also everything that they're recommending is tied to some sort of white paper research that you can go look at if you wanted to go and see where they're actually pulling the recommendation from. But there's no way. It, it would be impossible to do everything that they recommend in that book, but that's not the point. And even in the book, they're just like, if there's something that you can do, try it. And so that's a very important point is figuring out realistically what you will do consistently will probably have better results than trying 100 things once. Yeah, exactly. And Lindsay, you kind of talked about this too. Um, where your doctor just said, if you, if you think you'll stick with this, then do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important piece of feedback that, that he gave me and, and really simple, but really powerful in that, like 
here are a whole bunch of different options laid out in front of you. Like pick the ones that resonate, pick the ones that you believe in, pick the ones that you're going to stick with because that consistency I think is a really big part of feeling like you're making progress uh, with your own treatment. And, you know, in doing all the research that I've done in some of these alternative health opportunities, I think a lot of it comes down to just like building an understanding about how interconnected everything is. Like, obviously what I put in my body is going to affect how I feel and affect how my body fights disease. Like that wasn't, it should have been obvious to me before, but it's just all those, the interconnectedness of everything, like nature around me, what I, what I feel my body with, it's all connected to how I fight disease and how I, how I approach, you know, sort of staving off um, metastatic disease. So, yeah. Does anybody else have anything you want to add specifically like to pros and cons? Laurie, go ahead. I think a pro, I think a couple pros have been making myself a priority, which didn't happen before. Um, my and Lori, you're a mom, right? Oh yes, yeah. My kids were six and yes, eight so... when I was originally diagnosed. Okay, yeah. I think anyone who's a mom understands that feeling of oh, oh sure. I need to make me a priority too. Like that's hard, but also necessary. Um, I've definitely improved my connection with the earth, with the universe, and with others. Um, the sense of community mm-hmm. has been amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm outside more. I'm, my focus is on health and living. And I think those are all pros. Um, cons to this, I, price absolutely. I think the time it does to do some, some of these practices. Um, well, it's like your entire day. It, it could be. Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could um, be sometimes, for sure. And, and... Right. So, so that time, but that also goes to making yourself a priority. What would I have been doing with that time? Probably things my kids could really take care of. Um, and um, asking for help has been both something I had to learn to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was hard at first. It became a positive. But asking for help um, was, yeah, I, was really important, but really hard. Yeah, for sure. And I Are think you guys okay I, if we talk? Oh, go ahead. And talking with your Western doctor about it, talking with your medical oncologist about it, I think, I don't know that that's a con, but many times they greet you as if it's a con. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the hard part. I talk to so many people who hide what they're doing, and I did too for the first probably year, year and a half. I don't anymore. I am upfront. I tell them exactly what I'm doing. He tells me what he doesn't agree with, mm. and I say, "I'm sorry." Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for thanks for your ideas. Um, no, that's a good point. That communication factor, and that's something that I don't remember if it was Hannah or or you. I, I feel like I remember talking to someone specifically, um, and just deciding. I think it. I think it was after you had told me you'd been talking to Dr. Sato. Um, Lori and yep. how you had told him and he was like well whatever you're doing like it seems like it's working so keep doing it yep, um he did for and, about two years and like so I mean that's a good thing but also like that is that is something that can be I think maybe a barrier within that kind of what we talked about that kind of 
war between traditional medicine and, and Eastern medicine or Western medicine. My gosh, there's so many phrases, so many ways to talk about it. Um, (laughs) but it's, I think that that communication factor that if you have a patient who is hiding what they're doing and then they go into a surgery or they go into, this is what my doctor framed it as is if they go in for conventional care and conventional medicine, doctors and nurses don't know what they have been putting in their body, what vitamins they've had, what other treatments might, you know, somehow contribute to how does this treatment go for you? That can influence their decisions as doctors. And it's important, right? It's important information to have. Um, so I try to keep that line of communication very open too. And I also bring research and show my doctor, like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I decide to do something that he's kind of a little like, well, I don't really know about that. Um, Hannah, you had something to say? Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that if you are a patient and you want to explore integrative oncology, have both. Have an oncologist that you are having conversations with. Have a natural route that you have a consult with either an ND or somebody that you trust in that community that you can bounce ideas off of. As Kenny said, there's so much out there. So Mm -hmm. figuring out what feels right for you, what you can bounce off a consultative someone Um, But just having both. I think to your point earlier, Danae, I had an oncologist that when I told him I was doing the natural route, he disagreed. So I actually moved my care to a new oncologist. And most recently, I got the scans that said I I might have potentially three new spots in my bone. And she said to me, the oncologist did, she was like, hey, we can't deny what you were doing was working. So go back and up it. Go back and up the stuff that you were doing naturally because I had just come off and gone down a couple of things. And that's a good point that you That was super encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's super encouraging. And like you said, you are the patient, you get to drive your care. And if you don't like your doctor or you disagree and, or your doctor disagrees on a level that feels conflicting, you know, there's too, too much conflict. There's too much tension in that room when you're meeting with them, you have the grounds to move your care and your doctor doesn't that that's their point of being a doctor that's one of the the reasons that they are a doctor is to accept that they may not be the right doctor for every person um and i've had so many doctors say that they will recommend other doctors if it's not a good fit and like that's the that to me that's the sign of a good doctor a doctor who's willing to let you go to see you have better care or to see you feel like you have better care is a doctor that really truly cares about how you're doing kenny go ahead Yeah, I just want to bring up how important it is that you are an advocate for your own care and also understanding that ultimately you're the patient, but you're the customer and you can fire people that you don't agree with their approach or outlook and you should. um, I, I think it's really not very encouraged to seek out second opinions. You know, I have had a pretty good experience with all of the medical treatment I've received in regards to ocular melanoma, but for other things that I suffer from, that was not the case at all. In fact, when I was 20 years old in like peak physical condition, um, in the middle of a college football playing career, I had one doctor as I was having some liver issues that decided he wanted to just cut a third of my liver out and throw it in the trash can. And fortunately, the night before that, my sister, who's a doctor, said, this is insane. I got you in the Mayo Clinic. You can go there next week. They did a procedure in 30 minutes with a balloon, didn't have to remove anything, fixed the problem, haven't had an issue in 11 years. And so point being is if you can afford 
to travel just a little bit, um, you can get significantly better medical treatment. For instance, for ocular melanoma, there is nobody in the state of Arkansas that's an ocular oncologist. The closest I can go to is Memphis, Tennessee, uh, to the Hamilton Eye Institute. And so, um, you know, understand that you don't have to be stuck with who is in your neighborhood. Such a good point. Kenny, I love that. Thank you. Um, I do want to move on to our next little segment and let's just kind of run through, if we could just give people bullet point ideas, right? What has helped to make this affordable for you? Let's just talk about that because we, we all know that that's one of the big cons of integrative oncology care, right? Is that if you do have good insurance, your insurance probably doesn't cover integrative care. They don't cover you seeing an ND or an FABNO. They don't cover your supplements. They don't cover XYZ. So Lori, you've been kind of doing this the, well, I guess you and Lisa both between you and Mark, you guys have been doing this the longest. So what are the, what are some of the things that you have done to make this affordable for you? Um, I have found, um, I found a way to get 30% off my supplements. I use, um, I do yoga and hit exercise on YouTube. I, okay. So free um, exercises. Yep. Yep. Um, I spend a lot of time outside. Um, I, I, I I think that my, I mean, Oh, I have a garden. I grow my own food. (laughs) Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. I love that. Um, so I, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's still, not a lot of money every month um Mm -hmm. and that i haven't needed help along the way because i have yeah no that's such a good point um lisa what about you guys i know most of what you have done has been a little bit more kind of on that research 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 implement kind of a pattern um and i don't know that do you guys do you guys work with an integrative oncologist yet or no no okay no not yet um, a lot of what we've done is, is, is through basically my research. And I want to express for people that feel like this is overwhelming. Um, it is, it's really overwhelming in the beginning. And that's why you need to reach out to, you need to call people, you need to email people. You need to just not have that fear of starting, um, mm-hmm. because it can be overwhelming. It's very expensive. Um, but there are ways to cut and, yeah. um, you know, Mark, he walks a lot. He, um, we, we have not hired um, a naturopathic doctor at this point, um, just based on, you know, my knowledge of, of doing this research. And, you know, Mark, I'll, he's kind of fortunate because he has me doing all the research and then I just kind of tell him what to do. And the other part of it is that he, he does have to be on board to doing these things. Mm-hmm. So when, I come up with a new idea or I talk to somebody, I go to him and say, you know, how do you feel about this? And there's some things that he just can't implement. It doesn't work with his work schedule. It's, it's a timing thing. And that's another reason why I don't want people to not do it. Um, because, you know, we've kind of taken this simplistic approach now that I've narrowed it down, we've taken more of a simplistic approach. Um, and you know, Sometimes I get overwhelmed when I get online and I, I look yeah. at what other people are doing and I go, oh gosh, am I, I, you know, you kind of have FOMO, you, kinda, you have fear yeah. of missing out. 
fear of missing out. Like, okay, wait, am I supposed to be on that one? And you know, you get anxiety driven, mm -hmm. but then you kind of take a step back Yeah. and I call it kind of sitting in your, um, just taking the time to sit and, and decide if that works for your family. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to not start it because it is overwhelming. I want them to start with baby steps. Yeah. And if Mark's um, metastasis were to kind of amp up, I, I think I would shift gears a little bit more. Um, and it's not that I'm waiting. It's just that right now we're just, we're doing what I feel like is the right thing. It's a gut feeling for us. And again, there's no right or wrong. Um, there's no good or bad. Well, there is probably bad. Um, yeah, there but can be bad. But, th but there generally, bad. when you're seeking to improve your yeah. health, you're going to be looking at the things that are going to help, right? Uh, yeah, and I think his supplements, I mean, we've narrowed it down to, I would say he takes about 15, maybe 20 supplements a day. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and a lot of it is this, you guys, a lot of it starts with your, with your brain and yeah. where, where you are mentally. And I've talked to some, quite a few people that are kind of down and out in the very beginning of their journey. And some of them can't even get out of bed. They just can't. So you start with the basics. Let's get out of bed today. Let's um, go on a 15 minute walk. And then that leads to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's what we need to get out to people is that there's hope in these baby steps. Yeah. And then when you get to the big steps, um, you feel more comfortable with what you're doing. Yeah, so. exactly. No, that's, that's a good point. And then I think it also, you brought up something that I think is also really important. You said that you guys have simplified. You guys have simplified what you do in your, in your regimen, in, in his care routine. Um, and I think that that is just as important. And Lori, I think you and Hannah and really all of us would agree to this too. If you have something too complicated, it's stressful. We don't, we don't like that feeling of being more stressed by trying to take care of ourselves. It's already stressful enough knowing that we have this disease and we have to manage that stress, right? And that fear. Um, so anything we can do to simplify, to kind of streamline, that helps a ton. And I think that is in and of itself a form of self-care to simplify and to streamline what you're doing and to just really dial it in. Um, so as far as associated costs, um, Hannah, what was something that you were able to do like to make this more affordable? Because I know you did, you did something kind of a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. So my um, when we had gotten in touch with my ND, and I know we're wrapping up here, so I'll make it quick they had recommended that I do a pretty intensive three-week protocol and they had given me the cost up front and it was pretty significant. And so my husband and I made the decision with a group of my friends from college to open a GoFundMe and that helped me get off the ground. And yeah. I'm so blessed that we have such a spanning support system. And I will say it's not just for the money that that helped me, but I think that was just seeing people's support mm -hmm. across the board was so overwhelming um, just seeing how many people actually care about you. And I think one of the things you were just saying about, uh, Lisa, about getting up in the morning, just taking the next step, I think having your support system, having people there that you can lean on to just mm -hmm. be there for you as a person, regardless if they know what to do for you, just call you and ask you how you're doing. Um, but anyway, we did a GoFundMe and that's been really, really helpful. And I think we're at this stage now where we've got to just evaluate our budget because I think we know the things that we want to implement and the costs associated with that. And we've just got to figure out with our, our monthly budget 
um, how we make that possible and where we can cut. You know, do we need five streaming services? Probably not. So how can we just minimize that to make sure that we prioritize my health? So yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I think just kind of to sum up some of these different things that we can do, right? We've got budgeting, basic budgeting, um, that can always help find room for using money for supplements or for other care. Uh, we've got, I think Lori mentioned the, um, like getting your supplements 30% off. There's Fullscript. Um, I believe Wellivate used to be available, but Wellivate became Fullscript now. And so you can go through a practitioner, feel free to reach out to Lori or myself. Um, I think maybe a couple mm-hmm. other people, but there are places where you get a link from a practitioner and you can then make a Wellivate account. It's free. Like it's free to make this account and then you can then get your supplements that you choose to implement or that your doctor recommends at a 30% discount. And it's, it's extremely impactful when you have something that normally is a hundred bucks and you're getting it for 70 or less. Um, so the other thing I was going to say too, is that for different types of therapies, there are grants from different organizations, small organizations that will give you a grant. It's not always very much, but every little bit counts. Like for some of the different therapies that I know Lori and Hannah and, and I have done, um, mistletoe therapy, there's the big believe or the believe big organization. And they have a grant that patients can get for a little bit of financial aid to get their first couple mistletoe treatments. Um, so there's, there's a lot of possibility. I think that what we're trying to get across here, um, as we move on to our next little segment is we just want people to understand that if you look for the ways it's possible, you can find them. And I think that that's, that's really like, would you guys all agree? Like that's the message we want people to hear is that if you look for the possible ways to do this, you will find them, whether it's through podcasts that are free, YouTubes that are free. Um, Lindsay, go ahead. I just want to make it a point to say too, that anyone tuning into this, who feels that overwhelm, who feels that sense of just like, where do I start? How do I make this happen? I know this is important to me, but I don't know what my first step is. I guarantee any one of us on this uh, discussion would be willing to just chat with you and and just talk you through how we made that first step and, yeah. and how it's going. So don't, well, and, and we it, all it's have easy been supporting each other as well too. Right, yeah. It's easy to feel alone in this, but you're not alone. We're here. For sure. So feel free to reach out to any one of us. Okay, so I do want to move on really quick. Um, I know we probably, if, if you guys are okay with it, if we can like maybe take another 20 or so minutes so that we have time to go through each of your kind of stories individually. Um, we're not going to go through intensively detailed stories. If you guys want to hear more from Lisa about Mark's journey or from Hannah or Kenny or Lindsay or Lori, please reach out to them directly. Um, you can find them on Facebook. But um, I do want to go through, let's just talk about like Lindsay, like since you just ended, let's have you finish um, and talk about hot and cold therapy and like just adding that in. I know I see you posting that you're in a, a an immersion, like a cold immersion bath all the time. So tell us what <laughs> yeah. led you to that point and why do you still do it? Yeah, yeah. So there, there are a couple of main things that I that I implemented after reading that. Um, well, reading that radical remission book really set me on the path of looking for ways that I can really heal myself from the inside out. Um, and that was a really important piece of it. Um, I see a spinal network chiropractor uh, who adjusts, does nervous system adjustments is essentially what it does to heal old traumas, heal old injuries, and to really optimize the function of the nervous system. So there's no twisting, no turning, no cracking, no popping. Uh, it's really a gentle way of, of tapping into your body's resources where those exist to help your body heal itself. And she's actually, Dr. Mal is her name, 
she's the one who I saw do all these cold plunges. Uh, and I thought, oh, that looks kind of crazy. I'm going to try it. <laughs> so I actually did my first cold plunge prior to learning about the incredible uh, benefits that come with it. You're, you're, you know, you're essentially choosing to put your body in cold shock. And when you go into cold shock, your blood pressure increases, your heart rate increases, the dopamine and adrenaline that your body produces and your brain produces increases. But then what's super interesting is like 45 seconds in, your body kind of settles into that rest and digest system, that parasympathetic system. And so all of a sudden you're going from shock to extreme calm mm -hmm. and it you develop this high when you do it and in doing all the research that i've done so far there's there's this researcher uh, i think her name is joanna soberg um from you know from one of the european countries i don't know which one <laughs> specifically but she talks about how these cold plunges cold plunges decrease the chronic autoimmune inflammation in your system they increase metabolism uh, it strengthens your nervous system. It regulates your blood sugar levels. It improves your sleep quality. And so all of these things are benefits that I have felt in doing my daily cold plunges, whether it be a full sub submerge situation or just a cold shower if I'm on a time crunch. Uh, but that's certainly been something that, that has been sincerely healing and just yet yeah, just the jolt of energy that i feel afterwards is is pretty powerful too it wakes up Don't your mitochondria cold therapy yes yes mm -hmm. i'm working yeah there's That's a pretty so cool. good podcast huh. by andrew huberman that goes over yeah. a lot of those results i actually just went and bought a horse trough i've got one on my patio uh, that I use for cold plunge. You know, All right, so. so Kenny's gonna start posting about his cold plunges too. He's gonna post on Facebook yes. for us. Yeah. I'm just, just kidding. I just do it in my bathroom. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That yeah. works too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Kenny, you Kenny, know, I want to see you put on a pair of boots, like cowboy boots, and a hat, <laughs> and then just get in that cold plunge. I want you to be yeah. on a podcast doing that. Yeah, I got. I'm great. expecting that. I've, I've got to work a little bit on my abs before that, but you know, <laughs> Joe Rogan. But yeah, I, I did oh my goodness. Uh, one, this last yeah. week. I was in Colorado, and you know the water up in the Rockies is absolutely freezing. So I just did a cold plunge oh, yeah. up there in the alluvial nice. fan. It's, it was just like refreshing to the soul. Mm -hmm. Well, I was I talking like to my husband in... last night. Oh, go ahead. I was just talking to my husband last night about how much we miss winter because we could yeah. just walk outside and crack the ice that that yeah. formed on top of the horse trough and just jump in. And there's so much that goes into regulating the temperature when it's outside in 95 degrees. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I was going to say like in Arizona, my pool, we didn't heat my pool. And so I started doing cold plunges and cold therapy in the winter because I was like, well, I mean, my pool is already really cold. I may as well give it a shot. Um, and what's I've found interesting and Lindsay, I think you probably have discovered this too, since you do it so often is your body gets so much faster at getting to that parasympathetic point that your, your mm -hmm. level of like that shock and then the calm, the calm happens so much more quickly, the more you do it. Um, yeah. and I think that that, that level of being able to drop into the parasympathetic nervous system, um, is very helpful to our body. Like Lori said, it's helpful to our mitochondria and like, there's just, there's so many different levels and ways to look at the research to show that it's beneficial and it's helping you. Um, Okay, so let's see. Who do I, I'm gonna? I'm like jumping all over the place. Um, Hannah, I'm gonna have you go next. Can you talk a little? Like, I know your approach has been a little different, 
Um, you mentioned the three week intensive. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit before that. And let's talk about like your, your reasoning and rationale for treating surgically. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was diagnosed in December, 2021. They just saw one spot on my liver. It was pretty anterior. So they're like, Hey, we're going to try and go in, just look at it, see if we can just get the whole thing. Um, so I got a liver resection in that January, January of 2022, and they got it with clean margins. They said that there was nothing else in there. And originally when I had gone in for the resection, they were saying we might just end up doing a biopsy, but if we go in and we don't see anything else and we can just clearly get that, we're going to just do it. So they just pulled it out and that's when they did the biopsy confirming that it was METS. I got a PET scan saying that, Hey, we see something in your spine too. Um, so I went back to Boston cause I was traveling Austin to Boston cause it was where my doctors were at the time. And I got a biopsy of my back, confirmed that that was also metastatic. And that's when we really went the natural route. I, I, we listened to a, a podcast through, oh gosh, I don't even remember. Oh, it was Chris Beats Cancer, I think. That's who we first initially um, listened to, Chris Work. That's another resource if you're just exploring initial resources. Chris Work, Chris Beats Cancer is really great. Um, but we were listening to someone from the Reardon Clinic, and that was how we found the Reardon Clinic is where I've been getting my care, Dr. Tim's originally and, and now Dr. West. Um, and he recommended three weeks of uh, a combination of mistletoe therapy, and he wanted me to do intravenous. I know that many of us on the call probably do injections at this point, um, but I was doing intravenous uh, mistletoe. I did IV vitamin C, which I'm still continuing my care there. And then also uh, ozone therapy, which is injecting oxygen molecules directly into your blood and, and giving it back. So I was doing that for three weeks. And then um, when I came home, luckily with the Reardon Clinic, I can get my IV vitamin C and, and mistletoe injections directly mailed to my house. So I've been continuing that. Um, the other thing, too, as I kind of heard everybody mention, diet is just so important. So healthy, whole foods. Um, some of us are on keto. I know I'm just on plant-based but I also introduced fasting, which I had never fasted in my life. Coming from an athletic background, I don't know, Kenny, if you ever did it, but I was like, that's crazy to not eat for 24 hours. But yeah. uh, it's amazing how fast your body can adjust to, to the fasting state and how beneficial that has been as well. Yeah, that's yeah. like the best and bang Hannah, for buck ask... that you can do. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, yeah. I mean, fasting. Fasting is free. Nature bathing, yeah. free. Yeah. Listening to a podcast, free. YouTube, free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ending my three-day fast tonight at dinner time. Yeah. Well, and, and there's right um, there's another test. I think, Hannah, you you did this one. Lori, did you do the nutrition genome? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did the mm -hmm. nutrition genome. I'm going to be meeting with someone to discuss that in the next month. Uh, but, Hannah, because I think that's important to dis, dis, distinct, um, draw the distinction between is Lori does keto. She does keto that's specific to her body in alignment with the nutrition genome. Right. So it's like so the nutrition genome is an external test. Yeah. There's, mm -hmm. it, it's looking at various different things. It's looking at how your body utilizes nutrients on a genetic level and what nutrients deficiencies is it prone to. There's a lot of different things. The nutrition genome test, which is a separate test you can pay for independently. You don't actually have to have a doctor to do it, but it gives you this long laundry list of recommendations and ideas. So Hannah, I'm assuming your nutrition genome shows that you can convert plant-based molecules into the type of energy your body needs. Most people can't yeah. do that. My body specifically says I can't convert plant-based forms of omega-3 and omega-6s. I can't convert those by myself. So I have to have 
oily fish, like salmon, things like that. But those individual recommendations that help you to tailor what you're doing, why you're putting something in your body, that helps remove some of the question and the overwhelm of what are you going to do and how are you going to do it. So that's just one resource of something that you can do. Um, Let's see. So Kenny, can you tell us, like, I know you mentioned a couple books. Can you just run off a list of a few books that you feel like if somebody were going to start reading, like books and author names, if you have the author names, but just go through some of the titles of books you'd recommend and then maybe the top two things that you've done and implemented yourself. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the number one book that I have found helpful so far is called Eat to Beat Disease by William Liu. Um, the next book, and and also just an overview of that book, Eat to Beat Disease, is, is that could be useful for just about anything, not just necessarily cancer-related. Yeah. But it, it goes into essentially five different systems that your body uses to fight various diseases. Uh, I found one of the most interesting principles in that book being the concept of angiogenesis, which is essentially how does your body develop blood vessels. And so, for instance, with cancer, it's a problem that your body is developing blood vessels that end up feeding these tumors because we have these cancer cells in all of us that are running around rogue. It's just a cell that refuses to die. But it's not a problem until that cancer gets hooked up to blood vessels and then becomes a tumor. And as it's taking nutrients in, it's pumping cancer cells out to the rest of your body. And so you can eat foods and do things that lower your body's ability to have angiogenesis. But if, for instance, you had diabetes, it's the complete opposite. You would want to eat foods that increase your body's ability to develop blood vessels, right? That's why diabetics are notorious for not healing real well, is because those blood vessels also provide nutrients to heal wounds. And so anyway, it's just a philosophic approach to how to tweak the various parameters of your body's own immune system. Uh, The Outside the box cancer therapies is a, another really good book that covers um, at a depth I think you'll find hard to beat at a level that a human can actually read, right? So it's, it provides the rabbit holes and white papers if you so choose to go down them. Um, but also it's something that at a glance you can pick up some various therapies. Um, you know, so also just um, doing various research. There's several other books. I, I probably should have prepared a list. But, you know, there's two supplements that come to my mind that are very interesting um, that are not very expensive. Turkey tail mushroom is one that they're doing extensive research with breast cancer on. Um, even in Western medicine, it's been known about in Eastern medicine for a long time. Um, Moringa is one that a lot of people have probably not heard of that has been used extensively um, to prevent cancer growth and even reverse cancer growth in Eastern medicine. It's a a tree um, that essentially you can use every part of the tree, sometimes referred to as the miracle tree. Um, You know, melatonin is another interesting one, but you know, there are Mm -hmm. some supplements and and a lot of these things you can just find in food or just buy the food directly, right? Like you could actually buy straight up moringa leaves or you could buy actual turkey tail mushrooms. It's just easier to buy them. You could grow a moringa tree. I, I, I literally have a, I've been given a moringa tree seed and I have yet to plant it. 
I had like a plan for like this 18 acres I've got out west of Hot Springs to like make a farm at to grow supplements because I was just like, this is so ridiculously unaffordable. I just want to make a company that makes affordable supplements for treating cancer. Uh, but but to to be determined, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> to be to be continued. Right now, yeah. Yeah. Well, Kenny, I think that's great. Thank you. Um, just for the sake of time, and if if you guys anyone else has anything else to add in as we get through everybody, then don't don't hesitate to let me know. But um, Lori, I want to go through a little bit of what you've talked about, and just as a I guess for the sake of time, let's point people to your episode on the podcast to listen to kind of a little bit more of the beginning of your journey. Okay. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about more some of the more recent things that you have done because okay. I know you've done some kind of newer things, things mm-hmm. that hadn't previously been done. Like you've done the hyper, is it hyper or hyperthermia to Hyperth- the liver? Hi- hyperthermia to my liver. So it's the heat to my liver. It was liver directed. Uh-huh. Um, and that's to sensitize my tumor cells to uh, treatment. And and the treatment I was doing was mistletoe, IV mistletoe therapy, IV vitamin C, and then the normal systemic, my my diet, my exercise, my meta, like the whole metabolic change I've made in, mm-hmm. in how I live. Um, I also, from a doctor's recommendation, an integrative doctor out in California um, told me that there's great research on melatonin and stage four cancers doing a thousand milligrams a night for a week. I was like, I checked with my regular ND and she said, well, give it a shot. So um, I, I get I don't get scans until mid January, so I wish I, I mean July. I wish I could give you like some great news, um, but that's what I was just out in California doing, um, and it was for about six weeks, right? Six, the hyperthermia, yeah. the IVC, and the IV um, mistletoe for six weeks. Yes, um, and it was it was an amazing experience to just be there focusing on my health. It was hard to be away from home, but it was um, it was amazing. And I did, and and I continue with my regular fasting. And there was at one point where I think I was doing the melatonin, I was doing the IVs, I was doing the hyperthermia. I was on a three day fast. I was like, what else? Like, like, just what else? How like, else give it I to help me. My body. Like, here we go. Like, um, I don't know. It was it was amazing. Yeah, no, so Lori, can we sum up just really quick? Because I know you do so much, but if we could sum it up, I know you do therapeutic keto. Yep. So can you define therapeutic keto for people? Like what is the difference between regular keto and ketosis and therapeutic keto? Well, it's... it's Because uh, I do this too, so... Yep, yep. So it's, it's about 5% carbs, 20% protein, and then 75% uh, fat. You're getting your energy from fat. So your ketones, you want them really 1.5 to 3 whereas therapeutic ketones you would you would be at like 0.08 um i keep my blood sugar pretty regulated at least i try to that's that's one of my issues though i have insulin resistance and that's actually a problem with a lot of us with with melanoma inocular melanoma um is is so just regulating that blood sugar yep. stability, like getting yep. to a point where instead of doing this on your blood sugar, yes. you're more regular. And after three and a half years, I still have trouble with it. Um, yeah. And it's, it oh, seems yeah. like some of our bodies, I think, are a little more sensitive to that for sure. And I think one focus that California left me with, because I was 
so much more able to meditate out there is that I need to incorporate that more and make that a priority here. I'm in the middle of watching Rewired by Joe Dispenza, and um, I just ordered some of his meditations and one of his books, and it's just mm -hmm. a priority. I need to make it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, I mean, I'm doing something. exercise, yoga, meditation. Oh, yeah, you do coffee exercise. Enemas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah, like, there's, there's a lot that goes into individual routines and regimens. And Lori's been doing this for coming up on four years now, right? Yeah, in August. Yeah, yeah, coming up on four years this summer. And so in four years, and really, I mean, I've been doing this for nine months. And in nine months, I have been able to build up a regimen that nine months ago, I never would have been able to entertain exactly. the fact that I could handle doing that or that I would have the, the bandwidth or the mental capacity to handle right. at the level that I do now. Exactly. So you, you got to keep in mind, like the... Everything we've learned about the brain in medicine everywhere says that the brain is capable of learning and expanding and continuing to learn. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter what you've had happen in your life. The brain is capable of, of creating new pathways. So just trusting that your brain, your body, like your, your ability to handle it will grow over time is so important to recognize because you don't start on day one with what you're doing at the end of year four. Correct. That doesn't, that Absolutely. does not happen. And there's also a lot of things that change. Um, sorry, yeah. I'm going off on a segue. Lindsay, you were going to say something. I was just going to say coffee enemas are a brand new thing that I've started implementing and researching. And in terms of the ability to cleanse the liver, like the research is there. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because that's, that's been a new, a new found thing. Um, but I wanted great to ask after it? I feel amazing I afterwards. It's yes. crazy. I never would have imagined. It's I know. I'm glad you brought up fasting because that's something, if I have this question guaranteed, people tuning in have this question too. How do you manage regulating your blood sugar during your three-day fast and how often do you fast? I do a three-day fast once a month and then I do a 24-hour fast two, the two weeks in between that. And actually, I'm going to make that a 48-hour fast now because there was some newer research about specifically the melanoma and fasting and that you really, really get benefit after 48 hours. But um, I, because I think because I have so much, uh, last night on day two, I was, my blood sugar was 70, which is for me, beautiful. A little on I, the low end, but that's good. But no, it's not really on the low end. It's more towards the perfect end. It's, you really want okay, your blood yeah, sugar right. 65 to 80, um, which most, if you went into the hospital with a blood sugar of 60, they would start treating you with glucose. I would refuse it, but that's what they would start doing. So I think we've also been taught that our blood sugar is low at 70. It's, it's low at 65, but really that's pretty, 65 to 80 is pretty perfect. Um, but it also depends on how you feel. There have been times during a fast where I have not felt good, and so I, and so I broke my fast. You have to listen to your body. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like learning to eat with your glucose, and that's that's a learning curve. It it takes time, it takes practice, yeah. it takes intuition, um, it takes listening and learning to what your body is saying. Pick me, pick, me. pick you, Lisa, pick Lisa. Me. Pick me. Um, so we're talking a lot about integrative medicine, and I don't want the people listening to feel like that's the only way that they mm -hmm. can go because you know Mark's on three years plus. And he did do um, conventional mm -hmm. medicine, 
very, very little. Um, so he has been one of the fortunate ones that um, literally had very, very little um, conventional treatment. And I think for him, he needed that boost. His, his body went so low, right? Body couldn't fight for itself. And then we, we ended up in Philadelphia. He had immunoembolization and literally had such little treatment, but it was enough for his body to say, oh, wake up, it's time to, to fight. And so now we've, we've implemented the, um, the, you know, the, 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 I'm sorry, I keep getting integrative and traditional mixed up. We, enter, we, we put in the integrative medicine after his conventional and his immune system is off the charts. And that's three years later. So I don't want people to feel like, I mean, I know that they can probably do it like, you know, how, how Lori did it, but I don't want people to be like, okay, I'm going to ixnay out the conventional side because mm. you, Mark just happened to be one, a person that responded so well to um, conventional treatments. I mean, really, really well. And then we did the holistic side after his body learned to fight for itself because yeah. it really was low. It was, he was at a point where, um, you know, his tumors started to grow. Um, you know, we never expected them to metastasize and it did, and he needed that boost. And in order to get that boost, sometimes you have to go that route. And, um, you know, the doctors in Philadelphia have been extremely, um, shocked by his, uh, I mean, Dr. Adamo, his interventional radiologist looked at him at one point. And I think I told you this one time, Danae, that that he said, your tumors are, are disappearing. They're disappearing. And that's what his body's showing through his scans. So there are two routes to do. Um, there's, you know, I just don't want people to, to go away from the, the conventional side fully. Yeah, like if to... they have a question in their mind, mm -hmm. if they have a question in their mind, I want them to explore and ask questions and find out more information. Does yeah. that make sense? No, I think that's such a good point. And that segues really well into, I think, what we would generally want to end with as we kind of come to a close. Um, and thank you guys, those of you who've been watching live for sticking this, sticking with us. Like this, I know this has been a long episode. We have a lot of people, lots of ideas, lots of feedback. Um, but I do want to just run through a couple other things um, as we kind of finish. And before I do that, I guess I'll run through what I do because I've had so many people asking me, what am I doing? So I'm with Lisa and with Hannah in the sense that I didn't feel quite comfortable enough or I, I didn't feel like I was at a place, maybe mentally or just totally, to be able to say I 100% embrace doing exactly, um, or not even exactly what Lori does, but just to approach it from a way where I had no help from conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. So I had a biopsy done at the same time that I had a microwave ablation done. And I did a lot of research prior to doing that. I was really nervous about doing it at first, but I talked with like my surgeon was a really good surgeon. Um, I just did a ton of research anecdotally, meaning like I talked to lots of other patients and I gathered that physical, you had this experience, you had this experience, you had this experience from probably about 10 or so people. And I would now add myself to be number 11 in those people who said they had a single lesion and it stayed stable for a while or it was just by itself, which is not very common in uveal melanoma. Um, usually you get one and they're accompanied by friends and those friends are really not friends, but you know, <laughs> um, I had one and Hannah had one and we had something happen where we were able to have this surgically treated in a way that isolated it and has then kept our livers disease free ever since. 
And whether it's, I think that it's been a, a contributing factor, right? I think that doing that in a way that just kind of basically took away the growing point um, was important for, for me and for Hannah in our, in our specific instances. But I also have implemented other things with my naturopathic doctor, my oncologist, Dr. Grubin, who spoke on the podcast last week. Um, and I do ozone therapy, but I also do EBU therapy, which I'm going to screw up the name, so I'm not going to say it, but it's E-B-O-O, literally EBU. Um, and it's ozone therapy on steroids. So it basically is whatever you do with ozone therapy, multiply it by like a thousand. And like it's, it's a higher intensity of ozone therapy. So it's oxygenating the blood, which has so many research benefits. And it actually has um, quite a few research benefits in liver cancer and liver metastasis. And just in helping to allow the body to filter and to also activate it so that it is aware of what does it need to do um, from an immune point, an immune perspective. Because at the end of the day, if our immune system ignores what's happening in our body, our body can't fight it, right? That's that's what our body does. It needs the immune system. It needs the metabolic system. They're all so interconnected. And so I just have continued to learn. Um, I have a ton of blood work. Like I, I think it's it's one blood test technically, but it's, it's probably about 30 vials of blood. I get looks every time I go to the lab. It's great. Um, but I get blood work done every three months and I get scans done every three months, even though I have metastasis because I told my doctor, Dr. Moser, that I didn't want scans every two months. And eventually I may branch out to do scans more, you know, more spaced out, but that's, that's going to come with personal, personal pursuit of like whatever I decide is best for me. Um, like you guys have alluded to, I do injected mistletoe therapy, which if you guys want to, those of you listening, if you want to research the John Hopkins clinical trial for mistletoe therapy, that has come out. They're in the process of uh, funding phase two of that clinical trial, but phase one was successful and was able to show mistletoe helps um, on so many levels. And they only tested intravenous mistletoe, um, which is the IV mistletoe. And most people, because of regulations in your state, um, different things like that, that naturopathic doctors kind of have to cater to, um, most people will do injected mistletoe, which is just like a, it looks like an insulin shot, but it's mistletoe and it's a mistletoe serum that is specifically got, um, by a naturopathic doctor for the purpose of medicine. Um, but generally I think that I just, I am looking at anything I can do to reduce inflammation in my body. And I'm looking at what is, what is going to boost my immune system. So I do the, the cryotherapy, which here in Arizona, that's the equivalent of standing in a freezer that's negative hundred degrees Celsius. Um, it's really cold, but I go and I try and do that and a sauna and like just a few like very specific lifestyle things. Um, and they've just kind of gradually built on each other. If that makes sense, they built on each other and they, they support each other if that makes any level of sense. I don't know. I, I don't know how else to explain it other than I went from this is overwhelming to think about doing all of this to one step at a time. It's just built and it's become sustainable. Um, so that's, that's me. Um, obviously like, like you guys have said, um, you guys can reach out to any of us, ask us more specific questions. We're all more than happy to talk about it. Um, we love talking about this because it is such an empowering journey, I think to be on for us. So, um, I want to end with two questions. So number one, if the time arose, and this is kind of more of a, I guess, just a yes or no. Um, and then if you can just sum it up in less than 30 seconds, why or why not? Um, would you be open if the time arose and the benefit were there or the research were there? Would you be open to pursuing a clinical trial? Um, and what would influence your decision? Or just really, I guess, 
we could just, let's just dumb it down to, would you be open to more conventional medicine if needed in the future and why? Um, and so Lisa, um, you go first. I'm just going to run down the line. I mean, it's going to depend on what it is. Um, yeah. So absolutely. Um, I, there would have to be a lot of research into it. I don't know that I would go into a phase one trial. I mean, I guess I, I wouldn't say, um, and when I say I, I'm speaking for Mark. I mean, this is about Mark. Um, I guess the, the short answer is it depends. Um, and it depends on where I would, where he would be in his journey. I mean, if he was at the very, very end, of course, of course. Um, but I'd also be having him throw everything at the kitchen sink in terms of um, the holistic uh, realm of things. I just would, I would exhaust that probably first um, for him and then, then, then the conventional side. But, you know, Mark might be on a maintenance program here and that's kind of what they're calling it for him is that if things were to start increasing in size, he's got about five tumors right now, all very, very small. He's still, his last report said uh, less than 1% tumor burden. And that's three years out. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I just think that it, it depends on the situation. It depends on the situation. But I think holistically, I know enough. He knows enough. There's enough um, people out there to reach out to. I think I would try that first, and mm -hmm. then we'll move on to our maintenance. Oh, I love that. So, does that make sense yeah, at all? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Hannah, what about you? I know you're obviously kind of in a, a different spot right now with having just found some new spots and just being confronted with that. But your doctor gave you the keep doing what you're doing, just up it. Um, so kind of where, where do you think you might fall or where do you fall right now? Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off the same thing. I think I would be open to it, but there'd have to be a lot of research and it would have to be a trial that makes sense for me. I think for right now, I'm very limited in the sense that there aren't a lot of trials specific for the fact that I'm, I'm limited to just bone metastasis right now. There's nothing in my liver where I think a lot of trials are, are geared towards. So I think it would have to be something that I, I probably wouldn't enter a phase one um, because I've been able to do such a great job of maintaining it with integrative oncology. But yeah, I'd be open to it for sure. Lori, what about you? Or actually, sorry, I'm going to jump to Kenny. Forgot. I'm going the other order. Kenny, you're going to have to unmute real fast. Yeah. There you go. So certainly would be open to it, although I would be very hesitant at this point as I don't have Mets. Um, I certainly understand the perspective that as you progress further and further, the more, you know, as Lisa describes it, throwing the kitchen sink at it. And I think that certainly integrative and conventional are not uh, exclusive to each other. You know, there's plenty of room to do both. And, and certainly Western medicine, although not great at preventing disease, um, that is not what's emphasized. That's not what pays the money in our medical system. Uh, what they are great at is surgical procedures and invasive procedures when needed. Um, certainly best in the world at that. And so I, I think we all have had various examples of at least having something done with our eye uh, using conventional treatments. And, you know, then I... I just think that there's a lot of room to be able to do the integrative to help boost your body's own immune function. So ultimately, yes, I'd be interested, 
but would really want to understand what are the mechanisms they're trying to trigger. Mm, yeah. yeah. Lindsay, what about you? I know obviously you and you and Kenny both, neither of you have metastatic disease, but if the, if the time arose that that were a possibility, where do you think you would fall? Yeah, I'd certainly be open to it. <clears throat> uh, I'm at the point at the point now where I'm open to exploring every option that exists. And I love being on this call with, the split of metastatic and non-metastatic because I can I can envision what my life might look like if I do have metastatic disease at some point and still choose a more holistic route and so I'm thankful to all of you for sharing where you're at with that um, but yeah I, I mean I'm going to remain open to all options uh, and see what the data supports um, it's tricky to think of making the statement that I won't be in, interested if it's phase one, because then who's going to be that phase one? You know what I mean? Like, well, and, and we'll, we can talk about this more on the podcast another time. Cause I do have some people who want to talk about the importance yeah. of phase one trials. Um, right. But there is some room for looking at, okay, where else has this trial been done? And sometimes a right. phase one trial yeah. in the United States has made it to phase three in Europe. And so just being right. aware yeah. of those kinds of nuances that, there's, there's differences, and that doesn't necessarily write off its ability to be helpful. Um, so keep right. that in mind. We will talk more about that. Phase one trials is going to be coming up in the eye on research, which I'll talk about that at the end in a sec. Awesome. But, but yeah, cool. I think that's, that, is, that is a point that sometimes it's hard to think about, okay, do I want to be the guinea pig or do I not? Um, mm-hmm. and, and it really is such a, I think, such an act of courage to be in those trials, um, especially if you don't have a whole lot of supportive data. It's just theories and ideas. Um, Lori, what about you? I know you have experienced a little bit of progression off and on over the last mm-hmm. few years. Yep. Um, but and obviously, so, like you said, your tumor load is still really low. I So I amped up things naturopathically. And hyperthermia is kind of like on that edge of, of Western. Yeah. Cause, but anyway, um, I, it's kind I'm of like never going to... Yeah, I'm not going to rule it out. I'll never rule it out. I'm not... Um, and that's, you know, that's what I tell Sato when I see him. Um, but I, I just, until there's something convincing to, to make me totally change my way of life, like going to treatment one full day a week, I, then, I don't know. That would be very well, hard. It would be a <laughs> yeah. big leap. It would be, a, be a big, big change for leap, sure. A big leap, yeah, a big leap for so many reasons. So um, I'm just not sure that that's, where I'm at, but if I was experiencing like major progression and and ha- starting to have symptoms, I mean I have no symptoms. Then then of course, of course I would I would consider it absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of the same way. Like I feel like, I mean right now to be honest, this is this was kind of a, a harsh awakening for me. I think at first. Um, to realize that like I literally cannot be accepted in a clinical trial with no disease. I don't have anything present in scans. There's nothing on my liver. There's nothing they've been able to find anywhere else. And it's been that way for since November. And that's a miracle in and of itself. And I'm going to take it for as long as I can have it. If it's the rest of my life, awesome. I will be the guinea pig that somehow survived and never had more Mets. That would be great. Um, I'm going to just put that out in the universe because that would be awesome. But but I also know that if things changed, I would I would want to pursue with caution, um, you know, clinical trials or other conventional medicine, um, 
and I'm grateful to have, I feel like a good team that, that is, is capable of having those conversations across the board of just saying, okay, what's really going to be the best route. And the ultimate thing, I think one of the, the big deciding factors in me doing what I did versus what was recommended, because what was recommended by my team in Philadelphia was that I come out there for immunoembolization as quickly as possible. I didn't want to travel. I live in Arizona. I didn't want to travel unless it became absolutely necessary. And so I told my team in Philadelphia, look, you guys are amazing doctors. I can see that you're amazing doctors. You're helping these people of my friends. Like I, I just cannot do that. I can't add that to my plate. That's going to be too much for me and my family. And so I think that just, that's, that's something that I had a conversation in therapy about this week was just recognizing that whether someone does a clinical trial, isolated clinical trial, whether someone does the holistic route, whether someone does some kind of grand mix of everything, they are doing, and I think this is just the, the curse of social media, right, is that comparison. We, we compare, well, am I doing what I should be doing if somebody else is doing this? We all run into that kind of comparison mindset where we look at what someone else is doing and we wonder, well, should I do that too? That might help me too. And we kind of start to question what we intuitively have already decided is best for us. And I think that we just have to trust and, and really lean into the fact that everyone in this situation with metastatic disease, with a class two diagnosis, everyone is going to be making decisions based on what's best for them and what's best for their family and what feels the best for their unique circumstance. And that that's never going to be the same across the board. Um, and I think that the, the one thing that I think we can all say, and I'm going to end with this, is I think I would venture to guess all of our fear is lower. So just to kind of prove my theory here, if um, 10 is your fear of dying is top of the list every day when you wake up, and one being you have very low fear and you're just able to live your life, where would you rate your fear on a scale of 1 to 10 as a result of you taking these actions to um, implement integrative oncology and to lean into this kind of process and pursuit. Um, Lisa, where do you feel like you and Mark fall? Oh, well, at the beginning, uh, fear just took over. And I think I told you before, we had our heads buried for in the sand for like three months. We just could not believe it. And, you know, he had a kind of a different story. His oncologist, we were in Portland at the time, and this, this new oncologist told him he had six months to live. I mean, over Zoom, just said, get your affairs in order, you have six months. And not knowing anything about metastatic disease, um, I mean, we have four children, grown, but it was scary. It was really uh, a, a kick in our, our stomach basically. But so that fear was really high. That fear was, we're, oh my gosh, I was going to die as a caregiver. And that's what I want to show other people is that, is that, um, you know, you guys are all patients. I'm Mark's caregiver. He chooses not to be on this platform and I choose to be kind of the, the guiding force. And I hope that other caregivers can kind of get involved. And some, I think it takes the stress off of him a little bit, you know, just kind of do this, do that. Or, or what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Obviously, he's very, very involved. Um, but now, um, three years out, three years plus out, um, I mean, I'm fearful of him dying. I, um, and he's fearful of, 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 of possibly dying. We're all going to die, but that's not the point. He has a disease that's a real thing. It's tangible. Um, but the fear um, to me, you know, is, is maybe a nine eight or nine, 
now. Um, it's just, I know how to navigate. I know how, I know that what that roadmap looks like. And that's why I want people who are starting out on this journey to, to get a roadmap and to just start really small, really small, and then yeah. build. You keep talking about building. We have to build. And, you know, we're all so accessible. I want people to realize that just that one person can change the trajectory of where your journey is. And I, I, I just cannot make that point enough just to start somewhere, yeah. start, whether it's integrative or conventional, just start and ask the questions. I ask a lot of dumb questions. Um, There's no dumb still questions. Do. Don't you know that? Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, fear is, fear is, is more subsided and, I feel more at peace. He feels more at peace at where we're at in our life. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for asking that. Yeah, of course. So I guess for me, so I can move on to everyone else. Um, I think initially when I got the metastatic news and it really, even when I got the class two news, fear was probably like an eight or a nine, maybe a 10 sometimes. I think around scans, especially it heightens for me. Um, and even now it still goes pretty high, but I think that every day I am not thinking about what's going to happen and am I going to be okay? Am I going to be here in 10 years? I'm thinking about, I'm here today. I'm going to be here tomorrow. And eventually tomorrow's add up. Like that's been, that's been my like yeah. self-proclaimed mantra is, is that I can focus on today and I can trust I'll be here tomorrow. And eventually there will be enough tomorrows and it will add up to whatever it ends up adding up to. And for me, that means that my fear levels are significantly lower doesn't mean I'm not triggered. It doesn't mean I don't still experience scanxiety, that I don't still feel that level of stress around scans and wanting to know, am I still stable? Am I still okay? But I would, I would put my fear now, maybe at like a two or a three right now. And I'm a week out from scans and I don't feel horribly worried and stressed that I'm going to have scans. I feel like, I feel like fear doesn't run. It doesn't run the show anymore. If that makes sense. Okay, Danae, I had my numbers backwards. Oh. I think I said my fear was at nine right now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you okay, sure? Okay. I, no, no. Okay. So, so let's just, let's just go like this. It's no, it's, it's a two or it's three. It's a one or a two. So yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a 10. Now it's a t yeah, like a one or a two. Okay. Yeah. All right. Glad yeah. we clarified that. Hannah, what about you? Oh, you're muted. There you go. You can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say that it ebbs and flows very similar to what you were saying uh, around scan time. It definitely goes up and then, you know, like life is happening in between and yes, you're paying attention to it, but it probably runs around like a three or a four consistently. But one thing I'll add is I think we've all been in the unique situation where not, not everybody in this world is confronted with their mortality in a very real way. And I think when you have a diagnosis like this and you really have to think about like, what happens if I die? Who is going to be affected? What does that look like? And you really have time to sit and think with that. For me, at least, it changed how I view life, where I put my focuses, where I try and put energy in my day. When I sign off of work, I am done with work. Whereas before it would maybe like bleed into my family life. And now I'm very good about just... I need to be here with my family because that matters to me. So I'd say for fear, it ebbs and flows, but I would say three or four is pretty much where I sit. Um, yeah. But I've really appreciated the ability to just live in the moment after knowing like what it feels like to really think about your death. Mm -hmm. Kenny, what about you? 
I think that all of us could likely agree that that first moment of diagnosis, your fears are off the chart, you know? Uh, and, you know, for me, I was 29, had a one-year-old, and was just faced with, like, oh, shit, like, you know, what, you know, my, my dad died when I was fairly young. I was 23 when he passed away, and just that thought of, like, man, if, I, I hope I can make it another 22 years and he's 23. Like, that's the position that you put in versus like, oh, it's going to be great to see grandkids, great grandkids. It's like, man, I hope I can get through my kid getting out of college. That'd be awesome. And so anyway, that, that just to say that <clears throat> I think now today I rarely – think about that worst case scenario. I've also though taken to time to plan for it. My will have as much life insurance as I can get through work. You know, obviously all of us like traditional life insurance is just out the freaking window. But you know, just trying to plan as much to care for my son financially, whether I'm here or not, to try to just take that off of my mind. Um, but at the same time, I, I just want to add, and I think what I would like to leave with my perspective is we can become so focused on our own deaths, which are inevitable. We just don't get to choose the day. Um, and then also on trying to prevent that, that we forget to live in the moment that we're with now. You know, even like one, one thing I try to do is I try to regularly live out adventures. And so like last week, um, you know, just happened to upgrade my rental for work to a Mustang convertible and just drove so much that my whole arm was completely roasted, you know? Um, but, but like just being amongst the elk and the waterfalls and like, you just feel like you're in a movie and it's like, okay, I, I would like to, leave a legacy because ultimately what I have left of my father is the stories, the memories, right? And so I would like to make as many of those as possible and just enjoy the absolute crap out of today and the moments that I have versus just sitting there in fear of, oh, well, what if I don't get to be at my son's wedding? What if I don't get to see him graduate high school? It's like, Hey man, I got a little three-year-old bundle of joy running around that looks at me like I'm a superhero. Let's let's have fun with that. Yeah, I love that. Perfect. Kenny, thank you so much. Lindsay, what about you? Where's that fear yeah. now versus where it was at diagnosis? And even maybe when you got your biopsy yeah. results. Well, the fear was out of the out of this world when I first got my diagnosis because I, I made the mistake the day of my diagnosis of, of Googling ocular melanoma while I was putting my daughter to bed that night, um, which was just such a terrible idea. Um, but here's the thing, I'm a birth doula. And I feel like birth and death are viewed through a similar lens in that not a lot of people take the time to understand it as the sacred thing that it is. Um, and as the transformational thing that it is. And so as a current birth doula and an aspiring death doula, I'm actively trying to change how I look at death so that there isn't fear when death is thought of uh, and actively trying to have those conversations with my kids and just kind of reshape how it's it's viewed so the the on the scale it's it's very low um, but that's an active choice in how I'm choosing to to approach the idea of death 
No, I think that's that's such a good point. And I think I've heard you and a couple other people talk about um, just how our world really, like our culture, just really across the board in most most cultures, I think. Maybe I, mean, I can't speak for all, but I think especially in the United States, it's very taboo almost to talk about death and to talk about the process of death and to talk about, like it, it just can be very triggering for all of us because I think, like Kenny said, we spend so much energy, so much time just trying to prevent it, right? Trying to avoid it. That then when we're confronted with it, like there's this this large level of fear when confronted with it rather than acceptance. Um, kind of like, like with birth, like if you're going to have a baby and you don't have an epidural and you fight it, like um, that's, that's not a very good birthing experience. It doesn't feel very positive to fight against what na- you know, naturally is going to happen. Um, I've done that. Don't, don't recommend. Um, but, but really just being able to come to that place of acceptance. And I think it's, I think it's a combined, um, what I'm hearing from, from you guys so far is that it's, it's this combination of acceptance of what is, focus on what is now and the empowering actions you take for tomorrow. And I think that that, that kind of generally would sum it up, but, um, I want to end with Lori. So Lori, go ahead. Um, where do you feel like your fear is now? I feel, I really, sometimes I feel like I'm in denial (laughs) because I would say my fears of a 1.5. I don't think about, I've done a lot of work with my fear and I've done a lot of out of the box things with my fear. Um, and I've just, it's just not where my focus is. So, you know, if we don't put our attention there or if we don't put our focus there, then our, then our energy doesn't go there. And that's just not where my energy is. Oh, I think that's such a good point. Well, you guys, this has been seriously such a powerful conversation. We've had a lot of feedback from um, those of uh, our audience listening in on Facebook. Um, I think just to cover this one question that I'm seeing, a couple of people are asking for recommendations. Um, so if you guys don't mind just later, sometime next week, go and give us um, give, give the recommendations or tell us where your integrative doctor is if you see an integrative doctor. Um, but... I don't think that it's necessary that the doctor have experience. If you're seeing a functional medicine, a naturopathic oncologist, um, do you guys think that it's important that they have uveal melanoma experience? I guess, um, Lori, Hannah, um, this is more for you guys. Okay. And the reason being that the functional medicine doctor, the naturopathic oncologist, their focus is what's happening in the whole body. It's not a specialized, we have to only look at these tumors and why these tumors are growing. They're looking at what else in your body contributes to that pathway? Um, so just hopefully to answer that question that came in. Um, but I want to thank you guys for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I hope anyone who listens to this recording, please reach out to any of us. We're always happy to connect with you. And um, just to allude to one more announcement, I guess, for what's coming up next in about a month from today, actually, we will have the Eye on Research where we're going to be updating you guys on what's new in medicine as of ASCO, ARVO, and AACR, so the cancer research conventions that happened. Um, and we've got lots of good things in store, so keep tuning in. And I thank you guys for your time today on this Saturday, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, 
leave us a brief review, or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.